Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1 with All Care Pharmacy. Need expert advice on your family's health? Speak to us today at All Care Pharmacy, Ireland's largest community pharmacy network. Uh, have you noticed that um, inflammation is coming up more and more in discussions around health? So, you know, we're all obsessed with gut health there for a while. I feel inflammation is the new gut health now. So, to find out more now about inflammation and what we can do to avoid it, I'm joined now by author and broadcaster Dr. Michael Mosley. Good morning, Michael. Good morning to you. Hi. Good. Uh, now, uh, it was probably around COVID, was it, that we started hearing more about inflammation and it has become a big buzz concept. Now, what do we mean when we talk about inflammation, Michael? Right. There is um, acute inflammation and chronic inflammation. It's all to do with your immune system. So when you cut your finger, for example, um, you get acute inflammation. The white cells rush to the spot to try and destroy the microbes that might be trying to get into your blood supply. So your army of white cells are mobilized to attack and get rid of that. So that's kind of a good thing. And then there's chronic inflammation, where your immune system is turned on for reasons which are not entirely clear, but certain events do that. And so your white cells remain in a constant state of activity. This internal army keeps on looking for enemies to bash. And the net result is you get this thing called chronic inflammation. And that can impact your heart, all sorts of organs. It's a bad thing. Uh, Acute inflammation is life-saving. Chronic inflammation is a killer. Okay, and and this chronic ongoing inflammation, are, are we now learning that this is the root of a lot of diseases potentially? Absolutely. I was at a big international conference a couple of years ago in Sydney, and this was the thing we were talking about. Also, inflammaging, which is the, you know, the mashup of the two words, inflammation and aging, because they are so closely linked. We know that as you get older, you tend to get more chronic inflammation. That in turn uh, impacts your heart, heart disease, your brain, dementia, depression, anxiety. All sorts of things are linked to chronic inflammation. Plus, of course, things like arthritis, things like rheumatoid arthritis is um, part of the inflammatory response. Yeah, of course, you you did a show recently, Secrets of the Superagers. Did, did that kind of bear out the inflammation thesis? Absolutely. So we know that when you look at people who are aging particularly well, it turns out that they have lower levels of chronic inflammation. There are markers you can measure, uh, which are things like interleukin-6 or um, uh, CGI. I mean, not CGI, but anyway, I've forgotten it now. But there are a range of different markers uh, that uh, will tell you if you've got chronic inflammation or not. And what people do is they measure those, and then they look at treatments and things like that to see whether they are effective at reducing chronic inflammation, and then they're sort of marketed that way. Because as you say, it's very much become a sort of hyped-up word inflammation, I don't want inflammation, I don't want inflammaging, uh, what can be done about it? And so a lot of people are getting um, selling products and other things which they claim will do it, uh, most of which won't do it. Okay, but, um, is there anything there you marks. anything you would recommend product-wise? Before, we'll, we'll get into lifestyle in a sec, but product-wise? Absolutely. Product-wise, uh, very little information. I mean, I am much keener on the lifestyle stuff, on the impact yeah. of food, sleep, intermittent fasting. There, there is very good uh, detailed actual products. Not so much. Oddly, statins are probably the best tested one. We think of statins as being good for reducing cholesterol, 
But actually, the main way they work is probably by reducing inflammation so that um, statins work irrespective where they push your cholesterol down. So people are beginning to think that actually they've got it all wrong about statins. It's not really the impact on the cholesterol. That's not the primary impact. It's actually on the chronic inflammation. And um, I take statins because there is some evidence it's also good at reducing your risk of dementia. Okay, and and reasonably low side effects with statins. Could we be looking at a future where basically as we get to a certain age, everybody should be on statins? Well, we're already at the point where pretty well everyone in uh, the UK <laughs> is recommended okay. uh, you know, over the age of 65. Um, so there's obviously a pushback against that and people don't want to take them. Uh, but they are literally cheap as chips. They're probably cheaper than chips. So, uh, yeah, they are, the, uh, they are currently uh, being dispensed very, very widely. And they do appear to have very few side effects. Some people get muscle pain. Uh, but okay. there are people who don't like taking. Yeah. Okay. So lifestyle then. Will we start with uh, diet? Yeah. So with diet, um, various things will help. Uh, you've probably heard about the Mediterranean diet. That's almost as sexy as inflammation, although people mean very different things by it. Um, so what I mean by Mediterranean diet is not pizza or pasta, uh, but things like oily fish, that is salmon, mackerel. You have to think smash. Salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, and herring. Those are all oily fish. They contain omega-3, which is um, anti-inflammatory. So oily fish is very good for reducing chronic inflammation. Uh, Other elements of the Mediterranean diet are lots of sort of veg, green veg, uh, whole grains. That's all about the fiber. And you mentioned earlier the microbiome, the gut bacteria. Again, down in your gut, there are around 100 trillion microbes, uh, about 1,000 different species. It's like a rainforest down there. And some of those uh, microbes, they produce inflammatory factors. So they actually lead, they, they encourage inflammation in the gut and more generally, whereas others work by suppressing inflammation. So what you want is more of the good guys and less of the bad guys. And one way of doing that is by eating a, a diet which is richer in fiber, green veg, and things like that. So, you know, people have been telling this, this for decades, but now we're beginning to understand why things like fiber, as I said, green veg, and things like that, indeed, fermented foods are good for us. So Mediterranean diet, very good. Uh, the thing I'm best known for is the 5-2 diet. And uh, more recently, I've come up with a program called the Fast 800 uh, the food there is always based on Mediterranean diet, but it's kind of a low-calorie diet. It's relatively low-carb, and the idea is um, if you're doing sort of rapid weight loss, you get down to about 800 to 1,000 calories. Uh, but what If people don't want to do there, the more extreme end of, of the fasting, though, absolutely. is there a kind of a mild version people can do? Oh, 100%. So um, that's why I explored different things. The reason why you'd want to do the more extreme end is because you have a a lot of weight to lose or you have type 2 diabetes to reverse. So in the UK, uh, they're actually rolling out this program. It's already been done by about 15,000 people. We used to believe that rapid weight loss was a really bad thing. It was dangerous. Uh, It's now widely accepted that it can be effective and it is more effective than slow and steady, short, medium and long term. And it is being used to treat people with type 2 diabetes. So, and it is anti-inflammatory. But if you don't fancy anything quite that hardcore, you'd go for something like the 5-2 diet where you might do it for a couple of days a week. You'd cut down to 1,000 calories. 
or you might do something called time-restricted eating. So I've kind of written about all these things. Mm. Uh, time-restricted eating is where you literally restrict the hours within which you eat. So, for example, you might stop eating at 8 o'clock at night and not eat o'clock, uh, until 8 o'clock next morning. So that would be 12 hours without food in your system, and that seems to have benefits, including having an anti-inflammatory effect. So uh, that's time. That's a different form of intermittent fasting. There are lots of variants. There's the 5-2 diet, there's Vising TRE, and then there's a kind of harder core version, uh, which is the fast eight hundred approach, where you start on really quite rapid. But all of them basically lead to weight loss. All of them are linked to reductions in inflammation and also lower blood sugars, blood pressure, and things like that. Okay, so sleep and uh, look, we all know again it's one of these things at the moment we're being told we need to sleep more, we need to sleep better. People putting themselves under terrible pressure. I know you're an insomniac, and you you've just done a book on sleeping, haven't you? Have you got anything for me apart from the Absolutely. usual sleep hygiene? Can you? Mixed, very mixed. Okay, are you a three o'clock in the morning person? That's the commonest type of insomnia. Uh, no, probably, probably, uh, probably an hour, an hour after I go to sleep, I'll wake up yep. and then, yeah, it varies widely. There can be, there can be times where I'll wake up a few times, like, depending on stress levels and stuff, you know? Sure. Okay. So for you, for example, what I would recommend, I've written this book called Four Weeks to Better Sleep. It's based on a clinical trial I was involved in, in Australia last year, and the results will be published soon. I was actually one of the participants as well as helping run the trial. Uh, and we took 30 people with severe sleep problems, many of whom had been struggling with their sleep um, for decades. And the goal was to try and cure them in eight weeks. And the vast majority, we did. So the first thing is to discover why is your sleep bad? Uh, it could be that you have sleep apnea. So we found a third of them had sleep apnea and they didn't know it. That's kind of when okay. you stop breathing during the night. You know, it's that snoring thing. Yeah. So incredibly common, incredibly undiagnosed. Your partner is probably going to be the person who tells you. If the person next to you is doing this, if they're making a little choking noise and they're stopping breathing, they have sleep apnea and they should go and see their doctor. Huge numbers of people have it in Ireland. I know, but then people know. are going to be afraid they're going to get given a machine, I think, is the situation yep, there, there are alternatives. It? In the book, I absolutely go into the alternatives. A lot of people are worried about the machine. It's a, it's a CPAP machine. It will make you feel terrific. And that's the one thing I'd say. However, there are alternatives which I go to, into, including a thing called MAD, which is a mandibular advancement device. It's a thing you, like a math guard you put in and it moves your jaw forward. The oh, yeah, reason yeah, you stop yeah. breathing, the reason you snore is because your tongue falls back into you. There's also devices which get you on your side because most people snore and they have sleep apnea when they are on their back. We were able to cure most of the people who had sleep apnea just by using devices, not using the CPAP machine, because we do understand people don't like that. Weight loss is also the only known cure uh, for um, somebody who's got sleep apnea okay. and indeed for snoring. Because okay. snoring Outside and sleep apnea, apnea what else have you got for us? Okay. Right. So you are somebody who you go to bed, but you wake up and then you struggle to get back to sleep. What you need is you need something which is called bedtime restriction therapy. Okay. And that means you spend less time in bed. So what you have to do is retrain your brain to associate bed with sleep and sex and nothing else. What I would want you to do, if I was looking after you, is to cut down the amount of time you spend in bed okay. to about six hours initially. 
Wow. So you're going to basically cut it right back. Rather than going to bed at 11 and then wake at 1, I want you to go to bed at 1, assuming you wake up at 7. Do you wake up at 7? Yeah. Roughly most Maybe people Before, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, so what I want you to do, I want you to go to bed at 1 a.m. And okay. I want you to do that for at least a week or two weeks until you reach the point where you are sleeping pretty much through the night. Wow, Because you'll okay. get tired. It's called bedtime restriction therapy. I go into it in the book, how to do it safely. It is the single best thing for the treatment of insomnia. Absolutely the best thing. Fascinating. Okay. Okay. But it's pretty tough, I have to say. Uh, and then you gradually increase the amount of time in bed. When you've got it cracked, basically, you increase it by a quarter of an hour, quarter of an hour, until you're beginning to go back to your old pattern, and then you stop. And that is your optimal amount of time in bed each night, because it's not the amount. Of, what a lot of people do is they try and compensate for feeling tired by going to bed earlier, and then <laughs> they just toss and turn. And okay. all they're doing is teaching their brain to fear the bed. Okay. This is all happening at an unconscious level. What behavioral therapies do is they retrain your brain at a at an unconscious level by changing your behavior. So bedtime restriction therapy is unbelievably effective for people with insomnia. That, and amazing. That'll be, one, that'll be one big takeaway people get today. Listen, yep. unfortunately, time is against us. Can, can you yep. tell me quickly about an unlikely thing, which is flossing to help uh, inflammation? Because this is fascinating. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we know that when you get inflammation in your gums, and that's because you're not looking after your teeth, you're not flossing, then the bacteria from there, they escape into your blood system and they go to your heart, they go to your brain. And there's a lot of evidence now that having uh, gingivitis inflammation in the teeth is linked to an increased risk of heart disease and also dementia. So you must ensure you look after your teeth. That means brushing your teeth twice a day. It also means flossing each time to get the the junk out and always floss before you brush and try to use a fluoride toothpaste and afterwards uh, do not uh, rinse out because you want the fluoride to look and another really strange one uh, but it comes from the british dental association the american dental association is brush your teeth before breakfast not afterwards you should never brush your teeth within about an hour of eating because the acid in the meal will have weakened the enamel. And when you brush, you're going to damage your teeth. So you're actually supposed to brush your teeth uh, before breakfast. And in the evening, you need to wait at least an hour and, uh, or so after your evening meal or the last meal you had before you brush your teeth. Okay, that's three big behavioural changes I'm going to trial. So listen, Michael, I had a whole other list of stuff I wanted to ask you about. So maybe you could, will you come back soon? Um, oh, there's absolutely. stuff from absolutely. the Do One Thing podcast you do for the BBC as well, which is really good. There's various things I want to ask you about there. I'll give the, I would, um, I would I'll give the bedtime thing I'll give the bedtime thing a try, so, okay? And we might talk again yeah. soon. We'll catch up on that and, the, and lots of other Four things. Four weeks to better sleep. Four weeks, the best Okay, sleep. Dr. And Michael Mosley. Four weeks, okay? okay? Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Michael Mosley. We'll take a break.